Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. My name is Sam Bruce and it's a pleasure as always to be joined by Christy Doran for this latest podcast following, well, uh, just a momentous Wallabies win last night up there at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. Uh, Marika Korobiti, sin sorry, sent off uh, after only five minutes of action. The Wallabies having to play with just 14 men for, for 75 minutes and coming away with a dramatic 33 30 win. Uh, there's been absolutely nothing between these two teams across the three tests in this series. Uh, a gripping, just enthralling three matches have, have been fought out. Um, props to the French team, but Christy, um, let's go right back to the start of this one. Let's let's begin with that Corombetti red card. Um, look, I, I think it was uh, it had been a nice uh, side script to this one, if you like, the lack of yellow and red cards and and lack of talk about foul play. Um, throughout this series, uh, but we couldn't quite get through three games. We could only really just get through two, couldn't we? Corbetti charges out of the line from the kickoff, looking to make a big hit. Uh, France captain Anthony Jalon uh, catches the ball, drops his body height quite clearly, I think, um, just before impact. Corbetti, what first of all looked like just a good solid hit, which forced Jalon to, to drop the ball uh, after multiple replays and about five minutes of, of stoppages and discussions between the officiating team he's marched and, and that's the last we saw of him uh just met your immediate reaction to that last night whether you've changed that view in the postscript um and just how you saw that incident good to join you as, as always sam and, and great to talk after a, as you described it a monumentous victory and and who knows what it could do but it could be a great springboard for um matches to come but i think in particular the leadership of michael hooper We'll get to that later on. <clears throat> on 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 Corobetti, I thought initially I actually thought, oh, this is going to be this is going to be dangerous. Um, we saw the reaction of the French captain, and yes, I think we can all describe that um, as as milking milking a penalty, and uh, that's disappointing to see because it goes against what the integrity of the game is. As a couple of people who I've spoken to this morning described it as watching like the Italian football team, but. Uh, it was theatrical I think unfortunately his reaction did certainly play a part in the outcome which was clearly a red card on seeing it on replay immediately I thought this is dangerous and I, I tweeted that out at the time because anyone who's covered the game and watched the game closely for years has seen that uh, contact to the head uh, is generally speaking brings in a red card <clears throat> we saw Sonny Bill Williams get get sent off in 2017 when Anthony Watson um, lowered his body height fractionally but it comes down to the tackler lowering their body height I didn't think Marika did that well enough and even though Geelong certainly braced for the contact and dipped ever so slightly when you're going for a ball and all tackle Unfortunately, that's that's something you run the risk of, which is making contact. And we know with inertia that the head will go back after the body does and when it gets jolted. And unfortunately, yeah, the red card was forthcoming. I thought a yellow card would have been the right decision. I thought that from the outset, but under the current laws, I was not surprised at all that that Corabetti was red carded. It's, it, it, it comes down to... The, the laws and what World Rugby is telling the referees. And unfortunately, the feel went out of the game. And I, I think, I don't think you should be um, adjudicating on outcome. 
Um, I don't think if, if, if Shalonk was actually injured, I don't think that should necessarily influence the decision. So that's why I still thought, despite his theatrics, um, it still warranted a penalty uh, and probably a yellow card. Um, unfortunately, how the public consumes rugby and sport is often on the outcome. And we know that concussion and head trauma doesn't, uh, doesn't differentiate. Um, there are so many sub... Uh, concussions and and this is why world rugby is taking the stance what it is but I, I thought yeah yellow card would have been fair but you know it's 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 Dave Rennie made a point and and I would have been it would have been pleasing to see Ben O'Keefe go you know what I know you were milking it um, because your reaction and he could have actually made a bit of a statement not just to French rugby uh, to the French captain but also to to, to the rugby world that goes you know what? If you're gonna, if you're actually gonna milk a penalty um, and something like that, you should also run the risk of getting yellow carded yourself because that's not what the game's about. Not at all, Chrissy. I agree that it was worthy of a yellow. And my immediate instinct was, um, ooh, this is going to come up for a review. It took a little bit of time, a little bit of time to to get that the replays um, up and running, the commentators to to see what you know some of us had seen on the screen and. I think the, the difference in the reaction down here in Australia anyway is that there's a lot of people watching last night, which is a great thing, who probably don't watch a lot of rugby. Uh, we know it had the, the prime slot on Channel 9 last night, probably could have pulled in, you know, another fifty to 100,000 viewers potentially for a period. Um, how many of them, you know, I saw a lot of threats out there, I'm done with rugby after this, there's no way that's a red card, despite what's been happening in the NRL where a lot of um, fringe fans would have come from last night. Um it's, it's just got to be consistent. And now the dangerous thing about this is that that kind of tackle, um, which hasn't had that mitigation factored in, and that's the big thing, that the World Rugby turned it back on the referees this year to, to work through um, their updated framework and, and look for clear instances of, of mitigation. And I thought on the whole, through Super Rugby AU and probably Aotearoa as well, they handled it really, really well. And we also had the red card replacement trial up and running there, which last night, okay, let's say that is a red card under the, you know, the strict wording of the laws and, and you can make a case for that being the case probably. But surely it's not worth a player being off for 75 minutes for that tackle. Um, Corin Betty is running through, trying to put on the kind of hits that bring people through. It was a little bit high, sure. Um, and there is that drop in body height, as we've mentioned. But we've got a you know, factor in that this is a guy running at high speed, um, looking to put on a, you know, a shot to, to change the momentum for his side. And at the last moment, there is that slight drop and that this is the outcome. So, yeah, mate, I, I, I agree. A, a yellow would have been sufficient. Um, it's going to be an interesting postscript to this one to see just how the judiciary handles that. And I guess we'll get a feel then for right black and white that kind of tackle is going to get you three to four weeks and it's going to be a red card um, and the players will have to adjust, but it's got to be that consistent marker from here on out. Um, just, just, to... just two or three, just two or three quick points on that one. I completely agree about the 20 minute red card. That's exactly why I think you should have it. Um, uh, and uh, amazing of the result, you know, it kind of springs to mind the Irish um, victory over the Springboks. I think it was back in, uh, it might have been 20, uh, 2018 perhaps or 2016 when they when they won despite losing CJ Stander early on. Um, 
world rugby has made it pretty clear that they want play they they will come down harder if a player comes from a million miles away and we know that Ben O'Keefe made a point of that you know from the kickoff it's a 25 meter 20 meter um, head start that someone has so we see it at breakdowns a lot we saw it with Lockie Swinton and the reason why he probably had his red card overturned against the Chiefs was he was already at the breakdown when he went again that's right when you're coming from a long way off it makes everything look a hell of a lot worse I still wouldn't be surprised if that tackle has actually met the red card threshold. I know that there were people and pundits that were suggesting it might not, uh, and that it could be overturned. I would be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if he still gets three weeks, and probably because his his reasonable record, he gets lowered down from a, a mid tier to a, a lower tier threshold there. And he'd be able to play a few of those games for. Uh, whoever his club down there is in the uh, is the Dewar Shield down in Melbourne, um, and he might be ready to go for Bledisloe One. Who knows? But that's one of the quirks of rugby's uh, judicial system as well. Uh, Christy, before we leave uh, foul play, I want to ask you about the first try scored by French halfback Koulou. Uh, uh, excuse my French there. Um, I've got the actual Koulou. Um, again, apologies. Uh, leading with that forearm straight over the top of Tate McDermott. Now, this was raised by uh, a couple of journalists in the post-match press conference, put to Dave Rennie, um, pretty much because he's run in with his forearm raised and put it straight into the chin, or just at the neck, of, at least, of Tate McDermott. Um, yeah. Now, this is the exact play that we saw such a debacle, hullabaloo, whatever you want to call it, around... Um, Samu Karevi in the Australia-Wales pool game at the last World Cup when um, it was put up on the big screen, replay, 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 and eventually a penalty against the Wallabies. French kicked a penalty, uh, no card, but... Proved decisive, yeah. This is back coming This is coming back to this issue of, of consistency again. Now, has that changed? Um, why, was, why wasn't that reviewed? Um, you know, where's it, where's it going to end here? Where's it, how are we going to get this, shore these laws up within the game so that, you know, I think everyone can, can get on board with player safety. It's got to be paramount, number one. But when we see from week to week um, instances where there just isn't the consistency there, that is what frustrates fans. Um, and, you know, as Dave Rennie pointed out, uh, Tate didn't stay down. He just got back up and, and sure enough went to work and scored the, the responding try for the Wallabies thereafter but there's enough of a case to make that yeah perhaps that should have been overturned as well we saw one in uh, Bledisloe in in Sydney last year um in the incident that um saw Dane yeah. um start his concussion wise so mate it's it's I know it's a work in progress clearly but this is what frustrates the the people watching on yeah I think it that the it frustrates the rugby community more than anyone. Those particular um, incidences. We Sterling Mortlock and I tweeted going, you know, I'm gobsmacked, and I forget his actual terminology and what he said, but he was he was he was very critical of that, noting that exact incident. Um, that was a classic case. It wasn't a, of a small man in the French halfback doing another thing on another small halfback being Tate McDermott. If that had been a Samu Karevi type player, maybe a, a Dante um, who, who didn't play in the game, but a massive centre on a, on a smaller bloke, then quite possibly that would have been reversed and it would have been penalised. Um, what the answer is, I, I'm not sure, but there, there certainly needs to be 
um, some of the great rugby minds, um, coaches, um, captains, former players, and probably health professionals, we know that they come together often to talk about these things, but there needs to be a clearer framework. And at the essence of that, I still believe that there needs to be a rugby feel that is worked into this. You know, we all know that rugby laws um, are there and they're pretty black and white these days, but there has to be a feel to the game. Um, I, I'm glad that the French try stood but, but what you would want to see, is, as you've mentioned a couple of times, is consistency, and that's really paramount going forward. Yeah, well, uh, it was certainly a, an incredible start to the game and uh, one that won't be forgotten for a long while. Uh, Christy, let's move on from that. Uh, as we mentioned, uh, the French certainly got things rolling from there, and I think everyone thought, well, well this, is gonna, this is the end of this series. Um, the French are going to roll and run away with this from here, but the response from the Wallabies was was something special. Uh, let's pick it apart from the beginning there. Uh, you made the, the comment to me before coming on air that this may have actually been a blessing in disguise for the Wallabies, that they were they were forced to play much narrower, um, play through the middle of the paddock uh, as they did really well. Uh, their attacking breakdown was markedly better than it was in Melbourne the other night. Um, and just, I, I guess you could see from that, opening try when Michael Hooper goes through that ball at the line from, from Noah Lolasio is exactly that it's playing up flat at the ad line and look at the difference. Hooper charges through, finds an offload inside to, to Tate McDermott and the Wallabies are back. And that was just the start of a, a much more complete um, game from the Wallabies, a team that knew what they had to do to stay in the contest number one, but then go on and win it. Um, they stuck to it. They executed and, and that's something you, you can't really say for a Wallabies team. Well, all that consistency, there's that word again, consistently over the last five to 10 years. Yeah, and it's easy to say these things in hindsight. Oh, you know, it could have been a blessing in disguise. But what, what we did see, and we've spoken about it for a long time, is that the Wallabies, particularly early on, try to play with too much width too early. I think that it means that... Often, I asked the question to Scott Wisemantle before the series, the Wallabies attack coach. I said, is the game plan, or last year in hindsight, was the game plan too complicated um, for this young Wallabies team? And he said, look, if I'm, if I'm going to have to try to dumb down my coaching to a side, well, I think I should give up. But I think what we saw last night was the breakdown was probably much better because we didn't have Wallabies loose forwards having to be out in the five-metre channels, um, be miles away from the action. We've seen the simplicity of the French game plan over the first two, or two games, but including in the third game, where forwards are in tight and they're doing what forwards do. Um, I think the Wallabies had gone away from, you know, in the idea of trying to play really attacking side-to-side, end-to-end rugby. I'm not actually doing the basics particularly well. What we saw last night was exactly, as you said, players playing flatter, not the out-the-back players because they simply didn't have the men, the wingers out wide. They didn't have Corabetti. They didn't have, they had 14 men, but they also lost another flying Fijian winger in Filippo Downguno, who's one of, course, of your yeah. fight weapons. So, uh, it, that that's the pleasing thing. It'll be interesting to see what they do now going forward. Do they actually learn a lesson to go, well, this is actually how you can play rugby, but you can also play two or three different ways. The, the, the kicking games were much better. 
I thought Tate McDermott, with the exception of one box kick towards the end, almost in identical circumstances to Jake Gordon in the in the second game, where they didn't they put a bit of a dink rather than putting it right up and having a contestable kick. But with the exception of that, he was brilliant. Thought his kicking was great. There was there was no wasteful kicks from Noel Osio or Hunter Baisami. Um, it was a, a very smart, tactically shrewd game from that point in time. We saw the Wallabies forwards roll up their sleeves. Their back rollers put in a brilliant shift. Lockie Swinton deserves a lot of praise. With you know, for the first time in probably his career, <clears throat> I didn't feel like Lockie Swinton was about to be yellow carded. <laughs> it, he he was outstanding in his first game of rugby for a long, long time. Um, Noel Osisio, as we have mentioned, that ball to, to Michael Hooper was a beauty. Um, an intercept try shortly after his goal kicking under huge amounts of pressure. But to be a 21-year-old and guide a Wallabies team that's got 14 men for 75 minutes to a victory in a deciding test, that is brilliant signs ahead for a Wallabies team. Um, equally, Tate McDermott was, was, was good without being great. Uh, there were still a couple of little errors in there, um, a knock-on at the base of the ruck. What we saw was a bloke a little bit like Bowden Barrett, who has that intuition, the nous of noting where to, where to pop up. Um, Bowden Barrett, we always see that guy scoring tries and being at the place, right time, right place. Well, we see that now with Tate McDermott, and I think that's just because he's a rugby player. He's smart and he's he's got brilliant feet. Better, best feet in Australian rugby and, and it's exciting going ahead. Now the decisions are around selection going forward and, and also game plans. Yeah, uh, on point on your point on selection there, uh, Christy, that was made mention of by Dave, Dave Redding uh, in the post-match press conference um, that now we're actually building competition for spots here and you can go across this team and say that is probably just about the case in in every position, bar let's say number seven, which uh, Michael Hooper yeah, is, that is um, you know, that it's right there. Uh, it's obvious. Elsewhere, um, there is genuine one, two, in some positions, three guys that you can see step up and, and how pleasing it was to see Darcy Swain after two really rugged, strong 15-minute cameos off the bench uh, in Brisbane and then Melbourne go to Brisbane again, get the start and really just look like a bona fide test player. Um, as you said, it, it wasn't it wasn't fancy. It wasn't, you know, showy. It was exactly what you want your locks to do. Um, carry, uh, hit rucks, make your tackles, win your line-out ball, um, and then he gets in and destroys that mall there at the finish um, when, when the French were trying to rumble downfield and perhaps draw another penalty that would have given them the draw or, you know, perhaps even go for the win. So fantastic to see him step up and, and really, you know, assert himself as a guy that uh, the Wallabies are going to have some uh, some depth in a position where a few months ago we were thinking, wow, Skelton, Rodar, we know is coming back. Uh, um, uh, the, the Arnold brothers, Rory in particular, that we're going to have to think about getting these guys back. Now, that might still be the case, but he's a new local uh, lock who's done his time in Super Rugby over about the last three years now, I think, and uh, has stepped up to Test Rugby and looked right at home. Yeah, I think they were the hallmarks of the Dan McKellar-type forward pack, wasn't it? We've already seen a marked difference between the more um, and, and I think the line-out too. Um, you know, that, was a, that was a very good set-piece um, performance by the Wallabies pretty much from start to finish. We only saw 
maybe two line-out um, steals, I think, and, and one of those, which was Lucan just under pressure and, and probably not uh, getting a clean um, pass to to the halfback. But Darcy Swain, that was that was excellent. Um, the physicality, we saw it throughout Super Rugby. We saw it throughout the, the final, particularly, where there was even a couple of those shots where it's bordering on whether or not they're too late and James O'Connell was targeted. But they're the sorts of things that set you up for test match rugby. And that, you know, he, on, on a starting debut in just his third game, we saw his first involvement in test rugby was a charge down, which proved pivotal in that first test. Yep. We've seen him lift and play 80 minutes, 81 minutes, in fact. Um, it was a heck of a performance. I still think the Wallabies' second row is light, and I, I'm sure you would agree, but... Rory Arnold would add a lot of physicality, size, but just a bloke who would also be filling up, you know, but young men take time to grow into their bodies. I still don't think the Darcy Swain is what he will be in three or four years' time. And until then, I think it's, it is not just necessary, I think it's essential that the Wallabies bring back a Tolu Latu type player as well as, as a Rory Arnold um, because I think that type five does need a little bit more beefing up. And if anything happens to Brandon Payne or Amosa, then I think the Wallabies are in serious strife at, at hooker too. Yeah, it was a great shift from, from BPA last night. Uh, busy around the paddock as ever, and uh, he was pretty sound at the set piece. The Wallaby scrum was, was excellent again, although I did think towards the end there that uh, the French might have just been getting a little bit of a shove on, on of their own on some of those penalty decisions. Um, before we leave the forwards, Christy, I want to give a shout out to Izzy Nicerani. Uh, called it out on social media. I thought it was his best game in a Wallabies jersey that I can remember. Um, and what a difference that rev up, um, that non-selection that Dave Rennie gave him last year. We've known his ability to carry and bust tackles and, and get over the game line. But what we saw last night from that scrum, the chase down, the tackle, the full stretch, the diving tackle, the get back to your feet and win the turnover, win the penalty from Ben O'Keefe. That was just a fantastic bit of play that you associate with a with a seven and potentially sometimes a six. A number eight, not so much. That was really gut running at its best. Um, and those that was a play that, you know, the, the French had had success running it out of their own half, as we saw with that fantastic try work between the, the nine and Teddy Thomas and, and finished by Barassi there. That was a huge play from Nicerani. And again, a little momentum shift in that second half. Well, it was because they scored two minutes later through Taniela Tupo. Um, this is a guy that was just described as being too fat, basically. Uh, had to lose weight, had to work on his work rate from Dave Rennie last year. He was brought into the Wallaby squad later on in that rugby championship. But he was also, I think, you know, he was injured at the start of the year but he might have been left out of that, that initial 40-man squad to come in and have two telling contributions off the bench uh, was brilliant. But what I, I particularly love about him is that he plays off the cuff. He doesn't play that structured brand of pod rugby, which in the modern age can be pretty predictable, particularly with the Wallabies forward pack. But that was the exciting thing, I think, for the, uh, the Wallabies going forward. And, and now it's another selection headache between do you, you start Harry Wilson, um, do you bring him off the bench? I still think Harry Wilson deserves the number eight position, but what Nasirani has done is he's got on-the-ball ability, he's got uh, the ability to pick and drive and, and bring do something that, that few other Wallaby forwards can do. 
Christy, uh, the telling piece in all this will be whether the Wallabies can kick on uh, next game. Um, it, it's it's great. It's a, it was a fantastic win, no doubt. Um, great for the sport in Australia and 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 showing people that this is a team that's um, you know looks to be turning over a new leaf. But they can now go to Eden Park. We know the history there. It gets brought up every year. Um, for a test against the All Blacks to start the Bledisloe Cup, uh, three weeks' time, uh, July, sorry, August 7th. Um, now, no one expects them to go over there and, and win it, probably. But what we don't want to see is a complete loss of momentum from this game and a 37-7 or whatever the scoreline was there last year after that fantastic performance the week before in Wellington. Um, they've got to kick on. They've got to build on this momentum and, and sure that might not be winning as I said but it's got to be staying in the contest and showing this All Blacks team that this is a new age of Wallaby um, player and they've got the commitment where they can play for 75 minutes a man down and come away with a win now obviously you don't want to do that against the All Blacks that just makes a, an already uh, tough task virtually uh, impossible um, They've got to get on from this. Uh, and Dave Rennie's got to use this to say, hey, fellas, you know, this is what you can do when you stick to your structures, you execute, and you do, you know, what we have been trying to build over the last 18 months and, and take it out there and deliver. They, they've just got to move on from it. You're not wrong. And we've seen all these glimmers of hope and then next minute you're brought down back to reality. I, th I still think that the Wallabies just need to play with that simplicity of game plan and be so clear and structured in what they want to achieve, not necessarily structured in how they play, but what they want to achieve and how they get to that process. Um, we, we saw in Wellington, the, the opening Bledisloe, that Nick White, and I know that people bemoan the box kick and they bemoan kicking in general, um, but that was a clear game plan that the Wallabies had, which was in their own half, they're going to kick for territory and they're going to have contestable kicks. We, we saw them go away from that in the second and the third test matches and they paid the price because their skill levels, let's be honest, it's just not to the same standard of the All Blacks. So what the sides that have had success against New Zealand and the, and the team that won, the nation that won the World Cup in 2019, what did they do that? And they did that off the back of, a very clear game plan, which was contestable kicks, box kicking out of their own half, a really solid kick chase, and a bloody good set piece. The Wallabies can do that. Whether or not Tate McDermott is, is the person to deliver that or indeed Noel Olaseo remains to be seen. They still should have strong parts. And I think that at the very least, Noel Olaseo deserves to start against the All Blacks. But Nick White, I think, will come back into um, the conversation. And, and I would love to see McDermott still keep his spot, at least in the 23. Um, he'll challenge to start because what he brings is that ability to challenge the line too. But they need to be so clear in what they're trying to achieve. Uh, and for that, you need leadership, calm heads, and and blokes just rolling up the sleeves and, and and things like attitude and kick chase, well, that just comes from how much you want it, basically. And we saw that last night. It's about going again and again and again. But we saw and we heard from Michael Hooper on the eve of this test series, what's this team want to achieve? 
And they actually were trying to put a stake in the ground by going, we're no longer just playing for us, but we're playing for the generations that are going to be watching to come. And that was a real clear change in, in, in Michael Cooper's tone as, as captain, but also what he's trying to portray as a leader. And I think we saw a bit of that last night, but we've, we've heard it before many a times. It's about repeating and going again and again. Yeah, it's a, the box kick infuriates supporters in Australia, perhaps like nowhere else in the world. But the reality is to win big games of Test Rugby against the world's best, they're necessary evils. You have to exit well and you have to be able to put the ball up around that 40, sorry, that 10-metre line in your own half. When the ball is static, it's slow and you've got no other option. If you go, if you try and shift it, you're going to get caught behind the ad line and we know um, you know, how easily the, the Wallabies ruck was picked off throughout this series. Not so much, uh, or thankfully not so much in Brisbane on Saturday night. But it is giving the ball away, but we know a lot of teams win a lot of big games of rugby without much ball. Um, on that point, Sam, the, the Wallabies had 65% of territory and possession in, in game two, lost the, the match. How did England lose the game in, in the Rugby World Cup final? Well, they started running the ball out of their own half and made huge errors you know the Springboks scored a couple of tries but they were in the last 20 minutes and they did that because they applied pressure for 60 minutes and then as the game opens up they had game breakers and game changes like your Cheslin Colby's um, like the Wallabies could do with the Tate McDermott coming off the bench I think the the mindset needs to change in Australian rugby to go away from the, as, as, as Chris Whitaker was talking about earlier in the year after yet another 60 points were put on the, on the Tars, it's got to go away from we're just trying to run the ball and score tries. Defence is what inspires players, inspires fans. We've seen State of Origin games won, NRL premierships won off the back of very strong defensive efforts. And, and it's why I think last night's game was the most character-filled performance since the World Cup against Wales in 2015. Because on that night in Twickenham in October, they went down to 13 men. They didn't concede a try. It was a trialless match, 15-6 or 15-9. Yet yep. it inspired so many people with that because it was unbelievable defence. That is what this Wallabies team should be trying to build itself, I think, on. Exactly right, mate. It's um, you know, as we said, it's it's a line in the sand, and it's it's got to be, got to be the platform for bigger and better things this year. Starting with the Bledisloe Cup and, and rolling into the the Rugby Championship, which uh, who knows is meant to be played in both Queensland and New South Wales, but it might all end up at uh, Suncorp Stadium. It certainly is the place to be uh, this year. Um, before we go, mate, this week I want to give a call out to to everyone out there to to jump on and to social media, um, on Twitter in particular, and and tell us uh, what you're liking about the podcast, what else you'd like to see, and and uh, hit us up with any points, you know, challenge us on things. Um, we've loved doing it through this uh, this test series against France. Uh, we'll be back, no doubt, for Bledisloe Cup uh, 1, 2 and 3 and rolled into the Rugby Championship from there. This test season is only just getting started. Uh, and, Christy, you're off to the, to the Olympics tomorrow. Yeah, off on Monday. So I'll be covering the Rugby 7s amongst other sports. So if you... If, you, if you're starting to bemoan the lack of rugby coverage and Wallabies coverage, apologies, but that will return in due course. But it's an exciting time for Wallabies fans because 
we've got to remind ourselves in Australia that it isn't the premier number one sport in the country. But in addition to that, things can change quickly. And we commented on it last week in the lead up in between the tests, which was the Springboks sacked their coach midway through the last World Cup cycle. And, and the, the Wallabies are, are starting something, but what we're seeing now, I think, is some players with real backbone and real winning characteristics. And, and we talk about guys like Tate McDermott. We talk about Harry Wilson's, the, the Taniela Tupos, the, the Angus Bells. These guys um, are playing with a refreshing new attitude, one that isn't um, about being glary necessary, uh, necessarily on social media and other platforms, but blokes that just want to win. They're probably sick of watching the defeats and the shit that's been a heap heaped on, on Australian rugby for years, we're starting to see some of those fighting characteristics shine through, and that's exciting. Absolutely, and uh, an exciting uh, slow Cup and Rugby Championship to come, as we said, uh, that may yet all be played at Suncorp. Uh, hello to all you people up in Brisbane. Hope you're enjoying the footy uh, in the flesh up there. All right, team, uh, thanks very much again for, for joining us. Um, been a pleasure throughout this series, uh, and we look forward to returning uh, through, the, as I said, the Bledisloe Cup and Rugby Championship. Plenty more to come on ESPN.com.au and, of course, Christy's work at Fox and the 15. Uh, go well in Japan, mate, and uh, cheer on those Aussie Sevens for us.